I would ask Premier Horgan to respect the majority of British Columbians who want to see Trans Mountain built. I would ask him to respect the over 100 First Nations that support this project. I would ask him to help reduce gas prices in Vancouver and region uh, by allowing us to get more gas into British Columbia. Support this project. Uh, at the very least, get, get out of the way and stop trying to obstruct it by withholding permits and challenge it, challenging it every step of the way in the courts. This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. All right, welcome to another podcast. That's the voice of Jason Kenney, now the newly minted Premier of Alberta. And on day one, some threats at British Columbia, Rob. He's, he followed through on his promise in the Alberta election campaign to proclaim into law that so-called turn off the taps legislation that they have over there, saying that this is how they could potentially punish British Columbia for obstructing the Trans Mountain Pipeline. So he's proclaimed that law in Alberta, but he says he's not going to use it yet. So I don't know. It looks like uh, we're going to talk about Jason Kenney and Premier John Horgan's response this week to him. These guys on a collision course, do you think? What's your what's your read on it? Well, it seemed like they were more on a collision course during the election. I mean, there's a lot of rhetoric from Jason Kenney. He really capitalized on that idea of we're going to go at British Columbia, go at the throat, take them out, you know, uh, go Wolverine on John Horgan. But it's clear from what he actually said in the campaign and now what he has said in his first press conferences as Premier is he wants a bit of a pause here. He has enacted the law, proclaimed it into law, this turn off the taps law, but doesn't mean he has to use it. It's like he's got the hammer in his hand, but he's not swinging yet. And he says instead, he's now had two conversations with John Horgan uh, to try and kind of um, have a respectful dialogue. He wants a little bit of a pause so that the two sides can meet before the the uh, premiers uh, meeting, uh, the Western premiers in June. And then there's a federation of uh, Council of Federation meeting in, I think, July. So he's talked about wanting to get together and, and do that. Um and I guess that means maybe that these two guys don't go for each other's throats right away. We don't see that, uh, you know, the wine ban that Alberta brought in last time. And then, you know, it leads to the calls for British Columbia of maybe we should do a beef ban. And everyone starts banning everything and rat inspections in the trucks that you brought up in the past. So maybe we're not there. Maybe we get a bit of a pause here while the two of them talk it out. Although... You know, Jason Kenney's got a lot to live up to. The promises yeah. and rhetoric he had in the campaign, he can't be seen in Alberta to be backing down from that now. Right. One, the, one advantage I think that Kenney has here is that most Albertans are behind him. Like, he just won a big majority. If you take a look at the opinion polls on the Trans Mountain Pipeline, naturally, no surprise, it's a very popular project and widely supported in Alberta. So that's good for him. I mean, if you've got a lot of the people and the voters on your side, that gives you a lot of political leverage, I think, and when, on, a, on an issue like this. You compare that to Horgan, who still maintains he's opposed to the pipeline. Um, some of those polls suggest that most British Columbians support the pipeline. So Horgan appears to be kind of offside with a, a lot of people in British Columbia, as opposed to Kenny, who seems to have more support. Now, we'll see if that creates kind of a, a power imbalance between the two of them but you know these are these are two alpha males right they're kind of sort of they sort of see him on a collision course kind of talking nice off the bat like you would expect and we'll hear some clips from Horgan as well on this but I don't know I think this could easily start going the other way depending on how some of these court cases go 
Let's listen to Jason Kenney talk about the path to diplomacy. So this comes from his first press conference after the cabinet swearing in the next day. He convenes a press conference. He talks about the fact he's enacted this bill. In fact, you know, and it was interesting, Smitty, um, that his announcement that he had enacted the legislation actually was directed at British Columbians in uh, an op-ed that ran in the Vancouver Sun. So he chose to target his message to British Columbians first on this legislation to say, we are not going to hammer you right away. In fact, the gas prices that you've been paying, the huge high gas prices, are a result of this dispute. And and so it's interesting he targeted the BC. Here's uh, his, his path of diplomacy comment. Uh, I've been clear, uh, as I was with you in an interview, uh, I think last week, that uh, we will seek the path of diplomacy, seeking common ground, uh, assertively uh, defending our position as Albertans, our vital economic interests, and making it clear to our partners in the Federation, including the BC government, that we are prepared to use tools like this uh, if there is ongoing obstruction. So, Rick, uh, when uh, you're, when you're in a game of poker, you don't show the, guy, the other folks around the table what your high card is. You don't uh, play that high card on the first, uh, uh, on the first hand. Uh, and so uh, I, uh, we're going to play uh, the long game here. And as I've said uh, very clearly uh, for the last year, Rick, we will, um, if the BC government pursues a policy of obstruction that hurts B British Columbians with higher gas prices, uh, we will look at other ways of responding before we get to this, uh, the strongest tool in our toolbox, which is Bill 12. So we do not intend to use this right now. We are simply communicating our willingness to do so should we face a, a, a long-term campaign of obstruction. So I, I'm not sure if that's how you play poker, Smitty. Uh, this, no. uh, you don't show your high card. I think that's Go Fish. I'm not sure which card game that <laughs> Old is. Maid, Old Maid, Crazy Eights or something. Yeah, no, in poker you don't. You don't show your cards until the very end. Not, you know, anyway, yeah. I don't think he, he doesn't appear to know how to play poker. No, but, he, but that's he, okay. He is using that kind of metaphor to say we got a long game. We got some cards to drop. Yeah. Um, you know, like this is uh, we got some hammers to swing if BC continues to obstruct. And uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to show you all my cards right now. Uh, and, and it's interesting. Horgan said similar uh, as well later. Um, but I thought uh, uh, Kenny made some very clever kind of positioning on this. And like you said, he's appealing to British Columbians in a lot of ways with an op-ed in the sun and tailoring a lot of his comments directly to British Columbians. And he can read the polls as well as anybody. And he knows that the polls appear to suggest that a lot of British Columbians actually support this pipeline. And he also knows that people are mad as hell paying these record high gas prices in Metro Vancouver, where people paying over a buck 70 a liter for a liter of gas. He knows that, and he's appealing directly to those sentiments of people who feel like they're getting hosed at the pump. So he keeps saying, like, you know, we're trying to get this pipeline built not only for Alberta, but we're trying to help you guys. We're trying to help British Columbians. We're trying to help give you guys cheaper gas, and it's your government that's standing in the way of it. So, you know, help us help us out here. And this, Let me this help threat, you help yourself. Well, it's kind of like, um, it's almost like this is for your own good. Yeah. You know, he's threatening to turn off the taps on us and let us freeze in the dark or whatever. And you can think like, well, maybe that's just an empty threat or rhetoric. But at the same time, he's saying, by the way, the only reason I'm doing this is because it's for your own good. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to give you cheaper gas. And, you know, a lot of people might hear that and say, you know, darn it. I think the guy's got a point. Like, and Horgan himself says, 
one of the problems with the the big problems we got in Metro Vancouver is the lack of supply. We need more gas. Yeah. Well, how does gas get here? It's well, not the magical gas ferry. It doesn't appear in, from the clouds and rain down and you catch it in your right. eco-friendly barrels. They come yeah. from pipelines. Like, yeah. So it is a f- an effective argument. Let's hear what Jason Kenney, a specific message on gas pricing here in his press conference to British Columbians. British Columbians are currently facing a gasoline crisis, paying a ridiculous buck seventy for a litre uh, in Metro Vancouver. Unfortunately, since coming to office in July of uh, 2017, the B.C. government has opposed the expansion of this pipeline every step of the way, most recently at the British Columbia Court of Appeal. And in so doing, they've driven up gasoline prices in uh, the Lower Mainland. And just as the Trans Mountain Pipeline has benefited all Canadians, but British Columbians more than most, opposing the Trans Mountain Pipeline hurts all Canadians, but British Columbians more than most. The BC government is doing everything it it can to block the expansion of the very pipeline that would get Alberta oil and gas to the gasoline-constrained lower mainland and beyond. This hurts ordinary families in British Columbia. This hurts Alberta. And it's my job as Premier to defend Alberta. That's exactly what we will do. So it's hurting British Columbians most of all uh, in Canadians and uh you know, and look, we could do something about those record high gas prices in Lower Mainland. Now, the argument here is from Jason Kenney and from the government is that if you, if British Columbia backs away from opposing the twinning of the Trans Mountain Pipeline and we allow that pipeline to grow, we can increase the flow of refined gasoline uh, because we're moving the heavy oil and the, the dill bit to a different part and it's all kind of batch flow of, of uh, different products in the pipeline. And so in the end of the day, we can get Vancouver and the lower mainland and Victoria more gasoline from Alberta. And that's what we want to use the pipeline for. And then British Columbia comes back with, well, that's not the business case for that Kinder Morgan put forward. That's true. That is not what the argument was. The argument was we need to get our product to the, the coast. That's right. To get it out to export, to export markets. Yeah. So there's a message change from Alberta. Which is kind of interesting, but it's aimed at the fact that gas prices are through the roof. It's aimed, like you say, at the drivers who are mad as hell at what's going on. Well, you're right about Kinder Morgan. When they owned the pipeline, they never at any time tried to characterize the pipeline expansion as anything other than an export project. This is about getting diluted bitumen from the Alberta oil sands to the coast, loaded onto tankers, and sell it to the Americans or primarily to Asia. And they never, you know, Kinder Morgan never at any point said, oh, this is about getting more refined gasoline to Vancouver to give you guys cheaper gas. No, no, no. This is about getting that oil over to Asia where they can get a bigger buck for it. So, but Kinder Morgan doesn't own that pipeline anymore. The federal government owns it. Justin Trudeau bought it. And, you know, I guess there's nothing stopping Trudeau from saying, well, maybe there would be some public good in putting some refined fuel in the, into an expanded pipeline and getting some cheaper gas in the met, into Metro Vancouver and relieve gas prices. So that suddenly looms now as a, as a really key and interesting talking point in this whole pipeline fight here. It's, uh, I guess, the difference between a bunch of rich, rich uh, Texas oil barons owning a pipeline and a bunch of weak-kneed federal politicians <laughs> heading into an election yeah. in terms of what they plan on actually pushing through the pipeline because you're right Ottawa controls it now so they can control what they want to put through and where they want to go John Horgan brought this up he said uh, in his response press conference that happened this week at the legislature which 
coincidentally was held outside in the beautiful sun, perhaps is a little kick in the face of uh, the Kenny cabinet who had to be sworn in in a snowstorm in uh, ah. in Alberta. But nonetheless, uh, Horgan's here in the sunshine and he comes out and he says, look, I'm, you know, I had a conversation with Jason Kenny. It was respectful. They had a conversation too, actually, since he's he become a uh, premier and um, wasn't full of threats. We exchanged some humorous uh, anecdotes. We kind of you know, we kind of got along that way. Um, but he has a message for the prime minister and the federal government. Uh, and he said he plans on talking to the prime minister very shortly to to give this message about more gas in the pipeline. Here's the premier on that. Isn't that interesting that he's now saying he wants to talk to Trudeau, who's the owner of the pipeline now, get some more gas in that pipe so we can get some cheaper gas here in Vancouver. Now, remember, he's talking about the existing pipeline, right? He's talking about the pipeline right now. And he's saying, look, that pipe's already in the ground. Let's get some more refined fuel in there. The interesting point, Rob, I think, is does this open up a potential area for negotiation on an expanded pipeline, like can you imagine if if somehow Trudeau was to come out and say, "Look, okay, here's the new deal. We're going to get this expanded pipeline in the ground, but we're going to guarantee we'll get a lot more refined fuel in the pipe for British Columbia." Does that put Horgan on an interesting, uh, tough spot yeah. if he continues to oppose it? You and I both asked basically kind of versions of that yeah. questions to the premier. Here's his, his his kind of response to the way I phrased it at the end to try and summarize it up, uh, and what he has to say about that path forward.
Yeah. So, so the argument there, and, and you're right, Smitty, there was tantalizing glimpses at possibly maybe British Columbia's position in this press conference. One, um, Horgan, when asked by you about using every tool in the toolbox, he instead came back and said, look, well, we don't want the coast to be a big tanker export. That's always been our problem with the pipeline is a bunch of tankers exporting uh, and with the risk of, you know, pollution. That's not really every tool in the toolbox. That's we don't like this specific part of the pipeline. And then at the and then through other questions, including the one you just heard, you get this glimpse that, OK, well, if you can get rid of the of the tanker increase by using the expanded pipeline to bring out more diluted bitumen for export and instead expand the pipeline and use it primarily for gasoline to the lower mainland, that is possibly a path forward for British Columbia to maybe possibly um, not go at the pipeline as much anymore. Uh, maybe even support it one day. Who knows? I guess the question is, if we extend that logic out, Smitty, what happens to the Greens who prop the NDP up in power and who don't want this pipeline at all? Is that path forward compatible in any way with, with yeah. the Green support of the NDP government? Yeah, I mean, there's a real lot of moving parts on this thing and how it's going to unfold. And you know, it's impossible to predict it with certainty what's going to happen. But another element to this is that the Horgan government is still officially opposed to the project. Um, there is a, a reference case right now at the BC Court of Appeal, which seeks to clarify British Columbia's uh, jurisdiction in, in this matter. And specifically, we the BC government has asked the courts, do we have the authority as a, as a British Columbia government to restrict what goes into that pipeline to protect our own coast? because the environment is provincial jurisdiction. So can we tell Alberta, you can't put your disgusting, ugly, heavy crude oil bitumen into that pipe because it's going to potentially foul up our coast if it does. So that's a critical kind of looming court decision of the appeal court of BC, which could could come very soon. I tried to pin Horgan a, a down a bit on that this week and asked him, well, depending on what your outcome is on that court case, what do you do next? And then he in turn used his own sort of tortured poker metaphor and said he didn't want to show his cards. I think he was stuff. talking about gin rummy. In yeah, his I know. Example, These so guys don't play poker, no. I don't think. But, um, I, you know, on the one hand, Horgan's commitment has been, continues to be, he's opposed to the pipeline, doesn't want to see all these tankers in the water off the coast. And remember what he said in the election, like you said, his commitment to British Columbians was he would use every tool in the toolbox to fight it. So, I don't know, everyone seems to be kind of trying to disguise what they're going to do to do next. But uh, I think that court case at the BC Court of Appeal is, is going to be an is going to be a critical piece of it. And that's coming soon. And, you know, I guess we haven't specifically said this, but the immediate reaction from British Columbia to Alberta enacting and proclaiming this law was another court challenge yeah. <laughs> by the government launched in Alberta. So instantaneously, the Kenny government proclaims this bill into law and Within hours, the Horgan government is in Alberta challenging the constitutionality of that law. So there's two, it's a very, you know, and Horgan got asked this question, it's a very odd position for BC to be in because on the one side, they're saying Alberta's proposed law to uh, restrict exports to British Columbia is unconstitutional. But then British Columbia is in court arguing that it could create a law yeah. to restrict imports yeah. <laughs> of the same product. Yeah. And it is constitutional. So you have this weird... You know, lawyers run the world, I guess, since a bunch of judges will decide how this all shakes out. But it's quite possible 
those court cases add wrinkles to this whole thing and, and it just becomes a giant unmitigated mess. But uh, I, I found it more interesting, the clues that we were picking up in the press conference from the premier this week on the path forward. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Um, the rest of the podcast is dedicated to spoilers from the Game of Thrones most recent episode <laughs> and spoilers from the new Avengers movie. I don't know if you've seen either of them, Smitty. I've seen the latest Game of Thrones episode i think it jumped the shark a little bit oh, uh, i'm not giving away i'm not into giving away spoilers so that's all i'm gonna say but uh, you know it's still an interesting show and it's, it's interesting to see the way it it finishes i haven't seen the, the the avengers movie yet what's your favorite avenger my favorite event you know what i'm, I'm i gotta admit to you I'm a little sick of the comic book movies a little bit oh, too. That's yeah, a, I just, hang on. How do I turn your mic off? Is I know. That... I, it's just you know, and I'm a and I'm a comic book nerd, as you know, and uh, but I don't know. My kids are going crazy for it, so this, they're they're pumped to see it. We're going to go see it this weekend. Yeah. Well, we won't yeah. spoil. We, we won't, won't spoil, spoil either. Everyone dies, but we won't spoil <laughs> it to either of. The... Anyways, the the other political news. Back to to that subject, I guess. Yeah. In British Columbia, was changes to the labor code, which had been long anticipated. Um, by the NDP government uh, and long lobbied for by their big union allies who want basically a reversal of all the things that the liberal government did to change the labor code in the 2000s and a reversal back to the 1990s version of the labor code, which was much more uh, supportive of unions and certifications and, and, and less so for employers. Now, the big fight on this issue came down to the, what's called the secret ballot. and. Yes. Currently in British Columbia, the Liberals have brought in the secret ballot, which uh, in in their argument is a way to avoid uh, employees from being intimidated by their coworkers and their union officials when trying to certify uh, for a union. And the NDP wants to go back to what's called card check, where you just sign on these cards and you get enough members and you become a union. But it's a little bit easier to certify a union that way. There was a lot of pressure on the NDP government from the BC Federation of Labor and others to get rid of the secret ballot and just go back to the card check. And the Green leader, Andrew Weaver, had said very specifically, uh, I'll never support that. I will I will not allow that to happen. So the question we had going into these labor changes was, are the NDP going to call the Greens bluff, push forward the end of the secret ballot, satisfy their union friends, give them that victory and kind of force the Greens to do something about it. And in the end of the day, the answer is no. The NDP backed down. They abandoned the secret ballot push. And they brought in a bunch of other things that will make it easier for uh, unions to certify and whatever. But in the end, Andrew Weaver essentially killed a big promise that the NDP had for their union friends. And the NDP didn't go forward yeah, with it. This is a really interesting one. And here's the way this, this works, the way the secret ballot works. The labor movement had wanted what you, like as you described it, card check. So... If you sign up a majority of people in a, in a workplace and you get them to sign a union card, the union's in. You're certified. You don't have to have a secret ballot. Employers had said, no, a secret ballot is a, a fundamental democratic right, and people have to be able to vote in secret on whether they actually want to join a union. And the argument is, if you just do with this so-called card check, you an employee could face intimidation to sign a union card because you could have a, you know, you could have someone come, you could go up to someone and say, Hey, everyone else has signed the union card. How come you're not signing? And now you're suddenly publicly identified on, on your position. So the labor movement wanted that, get rid of that secret ballot. Horgan promised during the election, the election that he would get rid of the secret ballot and he didn't do it. So he's keeping the secret ballot. Now you're right. Andrew Weaver, the leader of the Green Party, was opposed to 
to uh, scrapping the secret ballot because he said it's basic democracy. Um, and I guess you could characterize it as as a uh, weaver gets his way on this. On the other hand, I also think it's a it's a clever move by Horgan to once again show that he's trying to take that kind of middle path and it's kind of like not uh, keeping the budget balanced instead of blowing the books on uh, spending like crazy with huge deficits he's deliberately taken the middle path and said we're going to keep the we're going to keep the budget balanced now he's lucky he inherited a pretty strong economy and and a budget that was balanced already it's made it easier to do but still he chose that middle path this is another one where I think if he had g- given in to the unions and said, okay, I'm going to get rid of this secret ballot and make it easier for you guys to certify a union, he opens himself up to criticism that you're nothing but a labor puppet, you're giving in to the big unions again, this is the same old NDP. Instead, he took the side of the employers, the business side, on on that issue and i think it was smart of him to do it like he's going to disappoint some people in the labor movement but they're getting other stuff there was other stuff in this labor code reform that is good for the unions and that they like so i think i thought it was a smart move by horgan i guess i totally agree with you but i guess yeah. the question is was it horgan's smart move or was it another example of the greens moderating the ndp they like to say that left to their own devices the ndp and the old boys network of of senior old white guys who run the ndp right now um, would just go back to what they were doing in the 1990s. And I do actually believe there's a lot of truth in that. And when we asked Harry Baines, the labor minister, okay, let's say the Greens aren't a factor in what you're doing here. What would you have done? And he said, yeah, I would have I would have got rid of the secret ballot. That would have been my preference in a majority government. So he credited the he so he, credited Weaver. Yeah, credited or blamed or however you want to, well, you know, you want to put it. But so that the Greens will look at that and say, look, we are responsible for making sure the tired old 90s NDP doesn't come roaring back to life and lurch yeah. out of the crypt like a zombie. And that's and that's our victory. And maybe it is. But that's good for Horgan, too, though, because I think it also it gives a win to Weaver, keeps him kind of happy, gives him a trophy he can wave around and say, look what I convinced these guys to do. I, I talked them off the edge of the cliff here and got them to go my way instead of their way. And so that's actually that's good for Weaver. But I think it's also arguably good for the NDP and for Horgan because it keeps Weaver happy, keeps them on side, uh, allows Horgan to say, look, um, see, this is this is the way minority governments work here. I told you this was going to be good for everybody. We're listening. We're willing to moderate our position. So sure, give them the give them the prize. Give Horgan, give Weaver the trophy and let him claim victory. That's fine for the NDP. But I think on the other side, I, th- I, th- I also think it's good for Horgan as a whole politically to show that he's he's going on that moderate path and i think this is a guy who's looking down the road to another election and thinking you know what i don't want to be a one-term wonder like rachel notley next door in alberta one and done and i'm out of here he wants to win again and i think he believes that he can beat andrew wilkinson the liberal leader but the only way he can do it is by seizing the middle ground and he's got to keep that budget balanced not go too crazy not go too offside and this is one. This is just another example of think of of Horgan being a pretty clever politician who's going to be tough to beat. Yeah, no, and full credit for them for being a much more moderate. I mean, the rest of the changes in the labor code were not extraordinarily controversial things. Like there was a lot of attention paid to the fact that the minimum working age now is going to be 16, 14, and fifteen if you're helping to stock shelves or whatever. But I was unaware, and I, I mean, I literally, I legitimately did not know 
that there are 12 year olds in this province working in like you know construction sometimes sites. like family businesses and stuff well there's a lot of mention of construction sites okay. that they sweep up uh, stuff at construction sites and pulp, pulp mills i i mean wow. i even the liberals uh, now when you ask them don't support that uh, and so that was a pretty easy um, change back there was a lot of other stuff there's some successorship rights yeah. in there in yeah. the labor code so for example if uh let's say you got a public sector uh contract for health care uh facilities where you bring in a private contractor to provide healthcare facilities. If that is a unionized shop and then they change and then you change contracts, there would be some new successorship rights there where the where the union contract has to go with the next with the new contractor. And this is something that uh, like the hospital employees union for one had wanted. So they're happy. So that the unions are happy with a lot of this stuff. And you'll hear some grumbling for them. Oh, we didn't get our we didn't get our way on the secret ballot. Oh, we're not happy about that. But they know darn well they're getting a lot of stuff anyway. And for Horgan it's just it's crucial. I think it was a key decision for him. If he had turned around and said, I'm giving you I'm getting rid of this secret ballot and I'm gonna make it easier to certify a union, I think he could have taken a lot of political hits for that. It, Andrew Wilkinson and the Liberals it just would have been a natural point of attack for them. Another context to this, if you think back to the last election, one of the reasons that Andrew Weaver um, does not give the organized labor movement as much time as maybe they hope is that they were his chief critics in the last election. It was organized labor, uh, primarily the BC Teachers Federation, who hounded him online mercilessly. They trolled him uh, to try and make him say stupid things on Twitter and and mocked him and and basically tried to get him to lose his mind and you know um, at one point the the green staff were in tears at the way that they were being uh, attacked primarily by the NDP surrogates and organized labor and so when you talk to Weaver now about you know giving a time of day to the BC Fed you don't get a very warm response from the Greens and I think maybe a little bit of this was the NDP saying hey look you know like you, you guys got to go over there and talk to Andrew Weaver because like. You know, it's a bit of a mess here and see if you can talk him down and, and organized labor couldn't do it. And, I, you know, I, I will be interested to see if if we just revert back to that as we get closer to the next election. All the labor groups start mercilessly uh, attacking the Greens. Well, they'll want to get back to them. They'll want an NDP oh, yeah. majority. Yeah. Right. But now they now they want to pretend that it's all just, you know, like friendly advice to the Greens. And no, it's a it, there are hard feelings between. Uh, the big labor unions and the greens for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that could, that could flare up again. And for, this is a good week though. I thought for Horgan and for Weaver on this labor file, because the unions got a lot of what they wanted. Weaver gets the bragging rights that he forced the NDP to do something they didn't want to do. But you know what? Like at the end of the day, I, I sort of see the, the sort of fingerprints of Horgan on this saying this is the guy who ultimately makes the decision in the premier's office about what they're going to do. And I think this is one where Horgan said, give Weaver the win, give him credit, but he knows darn well that this is politically good for him because we've seen plenty of other situations where Weaver did not get his way, right? <laughs> like on the sightsee dam or, uh, you know, ride sharing LNG. Oh, LNG is a huge one. So there's, you know, Horgan would not hesitate to just, uh, Horgan doesn't really care about, you know, what Weaver thinks, I think really at the end of the day, but on this one, I think, I thought he very cleverly said, let's, let's go the middle path and let, and let Weaver have his win. Yeah. All right. Lots of busy, busy times here in BC politics. I expect next week, Smitty, we're going to be talking about, um, some more shenanigans at the legislature, uh, former, chief, coming out on that, former right? chief justice, Beverly McLaughlin's report is supposed to land, uh, on 
you know, alleged wrongdoing at the legislature by the clerk and sergeant at arms, that's supposed to land uh, by the end of the week. And so by the time we get back to you next week's podcast, check your feeds Wednesday night, uh, Thursday morning, we may have an update on that, uh, yep. that old... Uh, tune that we've been playing for a while now so there's never a dull moment in bc politics nope. thanks so much for listening check our podcast feed on itunes or your uh podcast uh, listening device of choice and uh follow uh mike smith's stuff in the province and mine in the sun and we're both on the tweeters in case you want to get a hold of us there and uh and we'll, we'll be back to talk more politics with you next week talk to you then